Good morning, Chapel family. I know some of you are acclimating to this process of not having cafe in the middle. It's okay. I understand if you need to leave in the middle of my sermon, I won't have the ushers lock the door. Uh, This is our faith candle. For those of you who are new, welcome. My name is Ryan and I'm your pastor. And this is a candle that we light when we hear a story of somebody in our circle coming to make a first-time decision to follow Jesus. And that happened last week. Right over here, a young man came up and at the end of service said, I want to follow Jesus. What do I do next? And I said, yeah, praise God. Absolutely. Every time this happens, we want to praise God. So we prayed together, we talked together, um, and we're going to keep trying to follow up with him. And this is not just for those of us who are on this stage. This is something that all of us participate in. God has gifted all of us uniquely to give the good news of Jesus to our neighbors, to share with others around us what God is doing in and through our lives. And as I've told you before, being in Fishhawk, there are two ways we are going to grow this church. One way is by leading people to Jesus. The other way is by breeding because we live in Fishhawk. On that note, we should all welcome little baby Levi James Tucker. I don't know if we have the slide up or not. He was born to the Tucker family, August 10th, 6 pounds, 2 ounces, 19 inches long. This is where all the moms say, Aww, absolutely. Pray, pray, pray for them. We always must pray for new parents, especially because they're new parents. Uh, they're terrified to drop their kid. Once you've had three, you drop your kids all the time. It doesn't matter as much anymore. But that first kid, oh man, germs are crazy, dropping them is crazy, so pray for them. And, and as all of you who are parents know, you're zombies when you have those uh, first three months going on. Uh, let me, there it goes. I was looking around. I felt like I was buzzing. I don't know if it was the Lord or if it was just the speaker. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, are married? Married people? Okay. How many of you guys are single? Ready to mingle? I'm just kidding. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, this, this morning's passage is a little bit unique for me. My, my goal every time I come into the pulpit with the Word of God is to take the passage break it down for where it was at the time, and then shoot the fastest line that I can to Jesus. Now, I love that because we need Jesus more than we need anything else. There, there is no other need that we have in our lives greater than our need for Jesus. And I've been in the church long enough to know that there are tons of sermon uh, packages that are put together for pastors. Seven steps to a better marriage, five steps to raising kids who aren't demons, three steps to financial happiness. It's like they're just, they run the gamut. And I've seen the problem with those, and the problem for me is is that as a type A guy, I would look at something that said, here's five steps. If I follow these five steps, happy marriage is mine. And I would follow the five steps, and at the end of the five steps, I would still be unhappy. And I would say, I followed these five steps. Why, Why am I not at peace? I followed the formula they laid out. Why is my life still feeling off kilter, off center? So what I did... Man, is this an amp? Can I go, can I unplug something? Can I shoot something with a pistol? No? Okay. This side. It's the bass guy. It's always all about that bass. It's always all about that bass. It's my monitor. It's his monitor. See, this is what happens. When you guys let people that only play instruments with four strings and aren't ukuleles, they mess everything up. I'm just kidding. You know I like that bass. Whoever, when you edit the video this week, don't edit that out. I want to get his pretty mug all over the interwebs. I'm going to make a meme out of that face. 
So now, before we digress further, let's pray, and we're going to get into the passage today that's going to give us a, a little bit of a different flavor from our normal sermons, but we need to hustle through it because there's a lot of work to cover. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus, that he would die for our sins. I pray that today, as we look at Solomon's wisdom, as we look at this simple plan that he lays out to find joy in this life, that we wouldn't detract from the cross, but that we would take this and the cross would compound the joy that we can have in this life because of the good things that you've given us. I pray that we would be simultaneously focused on eternity and focused on the present moment and how we live with those who are around us. Give us wisdom, I plead today, Lord. Give us eyes to see your love and grace for us in Jesus Christ and help Solomon, this wise old man, speak truth into our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'm going to try to work through the entire chapter, and it's probably unlikely. The reason I asked if you're married is because if you're married today, um, the end of this sermon, I I just, I couldn't get around it. It's going to come after us like a shark. Every one of us that's married or that's in a relationship that has a sweetheart in this room, this text is going to come after us like a shark in the middle of shark week. So so let's prepare our hearts for that. We're going to get there shortly. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to read a little, talk a little. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Everyone say, in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. So stop right here. I need us to know, because this is an error that we need to correct in the church, because it's a wide-sweeping error. People have this weird notion that when you come to God, when you come to church, your life will get easier. And this is pitched and preached from pulpits across the nation, even around the world, that if you come to God, your life will get easier. Solomon says, with his wisdom, I laid my hands on knowing God, knowing how life works. And I need you to know one thing, that whether it's good or bad, whether it's love or hate, take comfort in that everything has passed through the fingers of God. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, if you're having good times, fantastic times, if everything is going well, if you have your dream days day after day, wives, if you're waking up in the morning and your husband's like, I've already been up for three hours, I prayed for you, I got the kids ready for school, I took them to the bus, and then I got a massage ticket for you, redeem this whenever you want, and the dishes were done every day. If that was your husband, thank God, because A, he's probably a unicorn also, and B... And B, it's a gift passed through the hands of God. But on the flip side, if your life is an unraveling spiral, if you wives wake up in the morning and your husband's there and he's wearing a devil costume, but it's not Halloween, and everything is, is seriously, though, going wrong, you have illness, you have debt that's piling up, you have worry, your kids are just off the rails, it, just because you come to church isn't going to make it all right. Just because you believe in God doesn't make it all right. The people that are promulgating they're teaching this belief that hey come to church and your life gets better they never i mean just read the story of john the baptist he did everything god wanted him to do and he had his head removed and that was following god's plan jesus the son of god did everything the father wanted him to do and ended up on a cross by the age of 33 and he he was the most faithful person so to think that if we come here all of our problems will magically whisper away like some weird spell it's just false. And Solomon wants you to know from the, from the get-go, God 
does allow things into our lives. And we may not always know the answers. We may not know the answers for this illness or this struggle or this relationship disintegration. But God knows the answers, and he loves us if, if we believe that for ourselves. Okay, let's keep going, because we've got to hustle to the end of this. Verse 2. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to good and the evil to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. So he's just going on. Look, there's one event that's going to happen to all of us, whether you're good or bad, whether you sacrifice, don't sacrifice. For us, that's go to church, don't go to church. We're all going to die. Under the sun, it's the statistic. Ten out of ten of us will die, uh, barring Jesus ripping the sky open and taking us home before our death comes. Now, we can either embrace that reality or we can run from it. And it's weird. In a culture that wants to talk about everything, and we've like lifted the curtains of taboo topics off of most things in our society, you can talk about anything in public at this point. You can go to a coffee shop, and you can bring up anything about sex. You can bring up anything about gender. You can bring anything up about politics. Well, maybe not politics. You can bring up a lot of things, though. But one thing you can't bring up very often that nobody wants to hear about is, is death. Nobody wants to talk about that. It's this conversation that instantly can shut down a room. And, and for those of you who come here regularly, you know that I love talking about death. Part of the reason I picked Ecclesiastes is because this guy was so depressed and talked about death so much, I was like, he fires me up. Part of the reason I do my devotions in cemeteries is because I want to think toward the end of my life, not toward just where I'm at now. Because if I'm just where I'm at now, I'm going to be thinking about this bill or this grocery list. But if I walk cemeteries and journal and read my Bible and pray for my kids, I start wondering, who, who do I want my oldest son to become by the time he's in one of these graves? What do I want him to have accomplished by the time he's in one of these? When my wife is laid next to me, because I'm, I'm dying first, that's a deal that we have, um, and she's marrying for money next time, she says. When, when my wife is laid next to me, what, what is going to be said on her tombstone. My hope is that I have, see, I've been crafting my tombstone line, you know, because I, I've, I'm about this thing. My hope is that I can craft the, the quippiest, funniest line, and then I'm going to pay off the guy that's going to do her tombstone, and I want to get it like a finger that says, I'm with this guy. So everyone knows for all of eternity, till our marble stones crumble to the ground, that she was married to crazy, and I love you for it, baby. Okay. We're all going to die, good or bad, churchgoers, not churchgoers. Under the sun, we are all going to die. The only people that don't think they're going to die are 20-year-olds. You guys have this weird invincibility complex. We had to fix a light this morning. It's the one all the way in the peak of the ceiling. And I did it the last time. And I, I texted the guys. I texted Jared and Corey. I said, hey, you guys, um, the light's out again. And I'm not going up there in Jesus' name. And uh and then we, we sent Corey up there, the tech guy, and he's up in this ladder just wobbling around. And I'm thinking, if he falls, there's no way I'm catching him. I'm letting him go to be with Jesus. Um, and, and I just hope he's got life insurance for us, his cute little babies. Okay, we're going on. Because he wasn't scared. He just, brrr, brrr. me? Never mind. Okay. This is an evil that is done under the sun. This is under the sun. Everyone say, under the sun. Under the sun is this life, beyond the sun is life with God. Right now, under the sun, death happens. It is the same event that happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of what? Evil. Say it again. Full of? Evil. Okay. No one wants to say that they're too bad, but I'm going to let you know we are very, very wicked people, and we very, very much need a Savior. And madness is in their hearts while they live. Anyone that's had kids knows this is true. Kids are born with madness in their hearts. And after that, 
they go to the dead. But he who is joined to all the living has hope. I love this. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. So here's Solomon. Solomon needs some prescription medication. Solomon is telling us, look, everyone's going to die. If you're good, you're going to die. If you're bad, you're going to die. If you go to church, you're going to die. If you don't go to church, you're going to die. And there's this great evil under the sun. We're all going to die. But check this out, you guys. While you are living, take heart. Be of good cheer. For it is better to be alive in a dog than a dead lion. So after he tells us that we're wicked and evil, he doesn't soften the blow. The Bible does not want to soften the blow on us that we are evil and wicked. Our culture wants to soften that blow. Our culture wants us to believe you're a good person, you're a great person, you're naturally bent toward good. And yes, we do do good things. We have the fingerprint of God. We were molded in God's image, but then sin shattered it, broke that, and now it's crept in, and we have this self-centered stream that's going on inside of us. We all have this, this circles that go out like, I care about myself most, and then this circle most. And if it's ever been proved by a, a national event or a global event, it's the Olympics. I was thinking about this last night. The Olympics started at the Tower of Babel because all the people were together and God said, you guys are trying to be like me again. I'm going to mess this up. Boom, languages, spread them out. Two guys that were neighbors, all of a sudden they're nations apart speaking different languages. And now we're coming back together for these Olympics. And I can't tell you, it's so weird to me because I, I pride myself on being a, a person who proclaims the gospel of Jesus to all humans. And I want to love all people. But then all of a sudden, when a Russian person loses in gymnastics, I'm like, yeah, take that. I never watched swimming in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm like the Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky fan, but I'm like, oh, they won eight seconds. Did you see that? Two weeks from now, I'll be like, swimming? What's swimming? Exercise? Forget that. Like right now, I'm inspired. Please, church family, as a, as a friend of me, don't let me buy exercise equipment right now because I'm falsely inspired by the Olympics. The, the Bible, uh, as we, oh, that's where I was going, with the Olympics. I, I'm totally, I don't know what the word is. I'm not racist, I'm countryist. I'm, I'm rooting for other countries to lose. I'm, I'm watching the track and field, and I'm like, dude, that guy's so slow. Oh, this country only has two people in the Olympics. What a bum of a country. Where did I get that from? This is sin nature just leaking outward. It starts with me. Because if you come into my house and I have one pack of lunch meat for me and my family, and you try to take it, Jesus would say share, but I probably would not share. And I really love Jesus, you guys, but if it comes between feeding my kids and feeding you, I don't know, that'd be hard. No, it wouldn't be hard. I'd feed my kids. <laughs> Did you think I was going to be righteous or that? I'm being honest. I, I prefer honesty because Jesus is my righteousness. Okay, oh, here we go. So you're, you're dogs, you're sinners, but it's good that you're alive, and now he's going to start twisting us toward to how we live the good life. So does, does anyone want the simple formula that says, hey, if I could have a five-step plan to a, a nice, happy, good life, we're, we're going to get it today from Solomon, and you're going you're gonna to feel it on me. I'm going to try to buck away from it because I don't want to give you those because some of you are going to get to the end of it and say, it didn't work, but we're going to talk about that too. Verse 5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Under the sun, you don't know anything after you die in this life. They have no more reward, for, their mem for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done, say it with me, fam, under the sun. Once you die, this life left behind. Once you die, this realm is no longer your realm. This existence is no longer your existence. You have moved on one way or the other. 
This is a very, 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 very different framework than what we live in. What, what Solomon is, is nudging us toward is, look, you're going to die, so I want you to live and worry about significance and meaning and peace and beauty more than you worry about comfort because you're going to die. And, and in our culture, comfort is king. Comfort is what we all strive for. Comfort is why we have the number of chairs we have in our houses. I can choose where I want to sit in my house. I, it's not like I have one chair and my, other, my kids have one chair, all wooden ones, and my wife has one chair. No, like I can lay this way on a couch. I can lay this way on a couch. I can sit in this comfy chair. I can sit in this comfy chair. I can sit in my entryway chair that my wife thinks is ugly and I think is the most comfortable fe- piece of furniture in my house. I can sit at the breakfast table or the dinner table or the outside table. We're all about comfort. We're all about comfort and ease. Have you noticed? It's so weird that uh, you can get frustrated when something takes three minutes to cook in a microwave. Like, if that doesn't tell us that we're wired for comfort in our culture, I don't know what does. Because there have been times where, no joke, I've purchased something like, oh, five minutes in the microwave, keep looking. Like, A, I know all of you health nuts that got on me for not liking kale last week are already up in arms. You use a microwave? Yes, I'm going to die young. Whatever. All I'm saying is we'll sit there and we're like, oh, three minutes to cook this. When people not 150 years ago had to go out to their backyard kill an animal, bleed it out, skin it, hang it, dry it, fillet it, put it on a fire that they had to start with like a bow. And I'm like, oh, it takes three minutes to get this Hot Pocket moving. <laughs> or, or, or if you think that we're, how about this one? How about traffic? Because I know you guys know that that's a sin issue for me. And here's the weird thing about traffic. So I meet a lot of people who are very unhappy at their home. And they're, they're just generally unhappy people. But they're ex- ex- exceptionally unhappy in traffic. Now, now think about this. We get so upset when we're in traffic because we're trying to do what? Get home so we can be happy and wait three minutes for a hot pocket and be frustrated? Or, or if you don't think we're wired for comfort, I have, I have one company I can just mention that will send 40% of you into a belligerent shock. Ready? Frontier Communications. <laughs> if you don't think you're wired for comfort, Chew on that one, Fishhawk. <laughs> My internet is so slow, it's like AOL speeds. <laughs> Rewind 300 years. I'm going to send a message to my friend. It's a pigeon. Let's hope he's well-fed enough to get there. <laughs> oh, man, I can only Skype for a little bit. It's blocky. We're wired for comfort. And Solomon says, don't, don't pursue comfort. Pursue significance. Don't pursue temporary pleasures. Pursue long-lasting joy. And, and here begins the formula. So here it is, you guys. If you want to take notes, if you want a happy, joyful life, you can lock these in. And I'm going to give you guys homework assignments because this week school started and my kids have homework assignments, which means I have homework assignments because Common Core is weird. So I'm going to give you homework assignments. Ready? Here's homework assignment number one. Solomon, wise person, telling us this. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine. If you're Baptist, that's non-alcoholic. Wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. The scriptures just said, Solomon just said, okay, we're all going to die. So here's the plan. Go and eat really good food, have really good non-alcoholic wine, and have it with friends. This is going to start to give you joy. So everyone say homework assignment number one. Number one is this. I want you to find somebody this week somebody that you love dearly or somebody that you haven't connected with in a while, and I want you to go have an amazing meal with them. And I don't mean amazing by, like, standards of 
a bachelor or a single college dude. Like, don't pick up your friend and say, hey, we're going to go pound 50 McNuggets from McDonald's and we're going to make a die. Don't do that. Whatever your meal is, Solomon wants you to go and have a great meal with great wine. And it's for a purpose. Because every time we eat, it's pointing to something else. If you think that we eat because of how we are biologically wired and like, oh, we, we came from this species and did this evolution, and here we are, and now we have to eat to sustain, sustain ourselves. Now, putting the worldview thing aside, no matter what you believe, I'm going to say that God wired us to have to eat so that we would remember we are a creature and he is a creator. That we need something to give us life, and without that thing, we die. And God is the one who sends rain to the ground and causes the livestock to grow up so that we can have a heart full of gladness. God has wired us to need food to remember him. And at one point, there will be what the Bible calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is partly why I love Christianity, because one of the biggest themes in the post-this life is eating food. And not just any food, fine meats and fine wines, Isaiah 55 tells us, that are given to us without cost because Jesus purchased the meal. So your homework assignment is to find one person this week or maybe a group of people. And, I, and whatever that meal is for you, it, I want you to do it. I want you to go out to Costco. When you go to the butcher, I don't want you to find that the cheapest steaks you can find. Don't get like this hanger steak that you have to chew like a cow for 300 years. Get the filet for your woman. And I want you to cook it to a perfect medium rare. And I want you to have a bottle of Napa Valley and sunshine right next to you. And I want you to eat dinner slowly. And remember that at that moment, when you're with your wife or your friends, that moment, say, this is practice. This is my rehearsal that I get to have every single night for the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is me remembering that God gives me all that I need and has provided for me richly. Like I said, I, I don't know what it is for you, but make that your homework assignment. If you're some vegan person, do your own thing. Go get tofu wrapped in tofakin, wrapped in tofurkey, covered in kale, <laughs> and wash it down with a green juice, and then go for a run and inspire us all to sit on our couches longer. <laughs> but start at the dinner table. I know, I'm out of control. It's, I just love this. It's so much fun because we're going to get to the marriage part and it's going to be like, joy kill. Okay. <laughs> have, have your good meal. Next, next in verse 8, next, verse eight. let your garments always be white. Now in the Old and New Testament, white was a sign of righteousness. In the Old Testament, the whole point was, okay, get right with God, be in a relationship with God, bring your animal to atone for your sins. But then Jesus came. And he atoned for our sins. Jesus is our righteousness. So Solomon is saying, start with the dinner table. Enjoy good food. Enjoy good friends. Build significant relationships. Use that. Leverage that. And then his next piece of advice is, be righteous before God. Now, if I don't caveat this, if I don't explain this, our, our natural desire is to say, be righteous. Okay, I'm just going to do really good things. And I promise you, if you strive to be the best person you can be, if you try to Uncle Sam your way into spirituality, you may look really good on the inside, but if you did it yourself, all of a sudden your pride is going to elevate. All of a sudden you're going to look around and other people say, why can't they do it? I did it. And that is totally what God loves, not. God wants us to be truly righteous. 
And the one way that we get righteous is by coming to Jesus. The one way that we have righteousness clothe us is by putting our faith in Jesus, by saying, I'm not enough. I cannot make it. I'm what Solomon calls a wicked dog. I need someone to free me. I need someone to rescue me. I love it because he calls it a wicked dog. And here people are all about dog rescues. We were dogs that needed rescue and Jesus rescued us. And then he clothed us in himself. So when Solomon says, let your garments always be white, he's telling us today in in this era, let your life be clothed with Christ. There is no whiter garment. There is no purer garment. Your righteousness is rooted and secured in Jesus alone. If your good deeds are what God is looking for, and if your good deeds could make God love you more or be more accepting of you, then that means your good deeds would eclipse what Jesus did on the cross. I don't think anybody would say that, but I think we often act like that. We believe that if we do good, God loves us. If we do bad, God hates us. And Solomon is telling us, let your garments be white. Clothe yourself in Christ. When you wake up, put Christ on. Let him be the first thing people see in you, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. He goes on. Let oil not be lacking on your head. Oil in the Bible is a symbol for the spirit. So, so he, let's recap. Do dinner. Get your bacon wrap, filet mignon, medium rare, bottle of Napa, happy with good times. Look into the eyes of your star-crossed lover and say, I love you. Look at your children. Give your children ribeye because they deserve it too. Build significant relationships around the dinner table. This is why God made us have to eat. And then clothe yourself in Christ, remembering that without him you are nothing. With him you are everything. Christianity, as we talked about a few weeks back, is the most pessimistic and optimistic worldview in the world. Pessimistic view of human nature because it says you are far worse than you think, and optimistic because it says in Jesus you have more than you could ever imagine. And then he says, follow the Spirit. Let the oil not be lacking. Some of us know when God is nudging us, the little God nudge. It's the God nudge when we pass somebody that's asking for money, and it's all of a sudden, in that moment, that the little shoulder devil pops up and says, they're going to buy alcohol. And God says, oh, yeah, I forgot about that verse. I said, giveth unto the poor, and lesseth they drinketh whiskeyeth. That's not a Bible verse, just in case. We're, I know we have some new people. <laughs> Give to people. Follow the Spirit's nudging. Wake up, have dinner, have breakfast. Build significance. Clothe yourself with Christ. Listen to that small voice. Now, here it comes. How many of you are married again? Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. So this sounds good still. Enjoy your wife. Husbands, Solomon says, enjoy your wife. I know some of your wives are like, don't enjoy too much. It's been a long day. Laundry's high. Okay. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because, enjoying your wife, is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So so you may not have caught this. Here's what I love. Solomon says, eat dinner. doesn't say anything about the dishes. It's like a figment of his imagination. Have a good time, dinner, Napa Valley. Then he goes, clothe yourself with Christ doesn't mention that when you clothe yourself with Christ, you'll often get persecuted, looked down upon, slammed on Facebook or whatever. And then he says, follow the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mention the negative side of that. Like, oh, and when you do, it's going to get really weird. Okay. And then he goes, 
enjoy your wife. But then there, all of a sudden there's an asterisk. Ding! Because it's going to be toil. He didn't tell me about all the other toil. I mean, there's weird things that go with the rest of those three. There's dishes after dinner. When you clothe yourself with Christ, he, you, you can lose some certain opportunities that are available to more um, dishonorable, slithering, sly people in business. When, when you follow the Holy Spirit, things do get weird. I know, I'm sorry, let me explain this. For those of you who grew up in the conservative, conservative denominations, nothing's weird. But for those of us who are Pentecostal and grew up with, you know, speaking the gift of tongues, you know that the Holy Spirit can send you on some weird trains. And then he goes, and with your wife, she's your portion and your toil. You are to toil to love your wife. You are to work at loving your wife, husbands. And, I, and I'm going to come after the husbands because Solomon is. And I know that the, he's talking to wives too. So wives, I'm going to give you some leverage because I want you to be able to say this week, did you hear what pastor said? Because that's never going to work. And I want you to also see it on the flip side of the lens. I've found that in my own marriage, spiritual intimacy does not come easy. It's, it's not something that we fall into on accident. I'm never walking down the hallway and just like tripping and falling into prayer. It's something that takes hard work. And for those of you who don't understand this, um, men and women tend to be wired differently. Before I got married to Amy, I had a vision of where my life was going. I'm like, okay, I'm going here, we're going to send the gospel of Jesus here, and I'm maybe going to die over here, and then I got married to Amy, because she's so stinking beautiful and amazing, she lured me in with her wily ways, but I, being a man, thick skull, said, well, this doesn't affect my plan, right? So I said, one day, this is no joke, babe, um, I found this job in Malaysia, and it was almost like you know in a movie when someone runs so fast you just see their shadow? It was almost like she was waving goodbye and just trying to leave divorce papers on the table for me. Is there a Hilton in Malaysia? I don't know. I mean, we, we are different people, my wife and I. And I've had to learn and toil and lay down my life like Ephesians 5 tells us. Lay down my God, but she does. Lay down my God, but can, she, can you just get... No. Lay down my life and work hard at this. Be because I... At one point in my life, and my wife has converted me. She's proselytized me into her view of how living should be done. Because I thought when I was younger, camping would be so much fun. And I, I've gone camping a few times. And, and earlier in our marriage, I said, hey, babe, let's go, let's go stay in this rustic cabin. And, and we could hang out and just be all by ourselves. And she would say things like, if by rustic cabin you mean four seasons, then yes. And if you mean by ourselves, you mean couples massage, I'm in. And at first, I really resisted. I'm like, oh, this is the worst. Until you get your first couple's massage people, then your life will change. I've never gone back because it was weird. Um, dude had big hand. Never mind. <laughs> but before I got married, I knew what I wanted. Amy came along, and it's changed. As we press into each other, we are being shaped. And now here's something that, that I want to say. Really... And this is where it gets hard. And this is first for the husbands, then the wives. And this is going to sound more legalistic than you've heard me preach, but, but I want you to hear me through to the end. We are to toil to love our wives, men. If you're addicted to pornography, you cannot love your wife in the way that you are called to love your wife. If, if you're giving yourself in an affair, whether it's a physical affair or an emotional affair or a spiritual affair, you cannot love your wife in the way that God wants you to love your wife. 
You cannot love and enjoy your husband or wife if you're doing these things because you're not present there with them. I'm not getting at the, the sin list. Sometimes we hear sin and we think of that list of do's and don'ts. And, and that list exists, but it exists for a reason. The reason why God says be faithful to your husband or your, your wife is because the minute you start not being faithful, you're taking energy and vitality and life that was due to them, and you're giving it to someone else. The minute you log on to that site, the minute you get flirty over email, the minute you send that extra text, the minute your mind wanders and begins thinking, what would life be like if I were with this person and not the person that I'm with? Now, now here's, here's where it gets dangerous. Solomon is telling us, it's going to be hard work, and it's going to be dangerous. In the Song of Songs, he talks about, Solomon talks about foxes coming into the garden to wreck your relationship. It, if, if somebody can drive a wedge between you and your sweetheart, it will drive a wedge between you and them and God. I cannot tell you the number of people I've met who went through horrendous divorces and that simultaneously catapulted, the, catapulted them away from the church because they thought the church would shun them. And, and it's tied together because marriage is a picture of the church. It's tied together because God calls us to, as men, lay down our lives for our wives. You cannot enjoy your husband or your wife if you're spending your vita vitality and creativity imagining scenarios with someone else. I mean... Have you guys heard the whole grass is greener on the other side thing? Right? Like, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, and we all know that it's not. And, and I've tried to tell people this before. I've had people come to me, and they've said, if my wife could just be like person A instead of like herself. I, I want us to just take a sobering question here. Was not, were not, at one point, all of us who are married, your husband or your wife was the green pasture. If you're like in the bad place in marriage now, you're thinking, uh, yes, I think so. One time, 1997, my wife was a green pasture to me. This is called dating, okay? This is before relationships become hard. It, and because I don't want to lose the single people or the engaged people, I, I just need you to know, like, marriage is hard work. And, and I don't want you to lean over to your, you know, fiance and say, baby, you're not hard work. Because if you do that, I'm going to see you in counseling in like two years. Okay, the, the grass is greener principle that, that we so often get caught into. I want you to think of this. If they were a green pasture, what changed to make them dry and crumpled and dirty and old and dusty? What went into their life? You did. So, so here's what I see with, especially, I don't know why this is, but with men. Maybe it's because I'm a man and men confide in me. I see this so often. If my wife could just be like this, if she would just do this, give me more of that, and then everything would be okay, because I see this happen in my friends' lives and wives. I just want a wife like that. It's the greener pastor syndrome. And what I often tell them over and over, look, your wife was once a free pastor right out of the sound of music, and you went in and you trampled her dead. And now you're telling me you want to go trample another pastor dead? You are the issue. Well, no, you see, you don't understand my situation. Solomon says, no, you don't understand yourself. You're a dog. And you want to hop from fence to fence just destroying different people's lives? 
before you finally realize, I am a dog, I need Jesus, help me stop hopping fences like a hopping dog. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, you guys, marriage is hard. God said, I'm going to make man, hunter-gatherer, lats like Michael Phelps. He's going to be able to do all these cool things. And I'm going to make woman, provider, caring. She's going to birth a human being out of her and then feed it from nine months from her. And then I'm going to make them think different. Men are going to be single-minded. They're going to be like, oh, dear, get, eat. Women are going to be like, dear, I need a recipe. The baby's feeding. I'm doing the dishes. And then God says, this is going to get even better. I'm going to make them wired different. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make men so that they don't understand tone. I'm going to make women speak with only what this mystical concept is called tone. And then God's up in heaven masturbating. (laughs) And then I'll make them live together forever. (laughs) Okay. This is a little bit of an exaggeration. Not really. Okay. And we live together, and we're wondering, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard. So then we try to escape. All the while, the Bible over and over and over again says, marriage is going to be hard. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to guard it. And Solomon is laying out this simple plan now that just got a lot less simple. Because here's the formula, he says. Eat dinner. Have Jesus all around you, in you and above you and all around Follow the Holy Spirit. Enjoy your spouse, even though it's hard. Now, some of you are thinking, I think I can do this. But then the next thought, (laughs) the next thought should be, this sounds pretty easy, actually. If I do this, I will get a good, joy-filled life? Yes. And then your next question should be, why isn't everyone doing this? If all I've got to do is eat great food, follow Jesus, put my faith in him, go where the spirit leads me like I'm just this free hippie in a field. And then when my wife is here, I just love her and I just enjoy the toil. I could do that. The problem, (laughs) the problem is the Bible keeps going and it tells us something. We're going to jump ahead to verse 18 because I'm running out of time. Let's read verse 17 and 18 together. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons, but one sinner destroys much good. How many sinners does it take to destroy much good? One sinner. We've all lived this. Ready? I'm going to ask you another question that's related. How many people does it take to ruin a Thanksgiving dinner? Just one crazy uncle. It, it, it goes on, and I, I love this image from Ecclesiastes 10.1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. It takes one dead fly, and this plan unravels. I, I really love premarital counseling with people, because before you get married, our culture has painted this picture because of Matthew McConaughey and all these crazy chick flick movies that I love, by the way, that there's this mythical one just waiting for you and our life is like we're swimming we're waiting where's my one where's my one where's my one and they come to premarital counseling and they're like oh i found the one i'm like no you didn't you found a one 
No, 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 this is my soulmate. No, Jesus is your soulmate. But no, she fulfills me. Mm, no, Jesus again. But you don't understand, Pastor, like, this is everything I've been looking for. And then that's when I get a little more serious and I say, everything you're looking for is going to let you down really, really hard one day. And this whole idea of the mythical one, I'm not a math guy. I have, I have two degrees, and they're both in theology and religion-related topics. But I figured out early on that if one person married the wrong person once, it screws it up for everybody forever. Like, it's really hard to recover from that statistically because in that person who should have been married to that unicorn got married to a different unicorn. And all of a sudden, we're a bunch of crazy people in relationships with people that we think don't belong with us. And if you ever question, if you ever have a doubt in your mind, if you married the right person, I'm going to tell you all how to find out exactly if you're married to the right person. Are you ready? Here's what you do. If you're thinking in my head, I don't know if I'm married to the right person, I'm going to follow Pastor Ryan's advice. You go over to your file box. You unlock the file that says important documents. You get out your marriage license, and you check if that's your name, and then you read her name. That's the person you're supposed to be married to. <laughs> Game over. Put it back in. Okay. Now, <laughs> I don't want any Photoshoppers here today. Well, look who I'm supposed to be married to. Ha, 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 ha. Angelina Jolie. Ha, ha, No. I see the smudge marks and the black eye from your wife, your real one, whose name was there. One dead fly ruins this whole thing. One sin-filled person ruins this whole thing, and we are all sin-filled people. It takes one husband to say, forget what the scriptures command, I'm out. It's too much work. It takes one wife to say, forget what the Bible says, I cannot forgive this thing that he did. It takes one person saying, I don't care what it says, this is my money, this is my stuff, I'm doing what I want. It takes one person. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He accomplishes things through our weakness. He wants us first to see that we are weak and in need and then he will use us to live out this simple life. Then he will empower us and gift us with joy in this simple life under the sun until we meet him beyond the sun. If you think that God is looking for the strongest version of you, think again. He is made much of when we are made little of. Go back to the stories in the Old Testament. The stories in the Old Testament are God time and time again dwindling down his people to show off his power, and he wants to do that in your life. Remember the story of Gideon? Gideon brings an army to fight, an enemy army, and God says, you have too many men. He said, we're already outnumbered. We're already outnumbered one to two. I know, cut your army in half. You have too many men, no, cut it in half again. And finally, Gideon's going out, and he's got a couple hundred dudes to fight an army, and he wins because God shows off that way. Or think about the Sunday school story that we teach our children, the story of Jericho, which it's classic comedy to me if you think about the stories we teach our kids because we leave out all the time that people are getting crushed to death all the time in the Bible. Jericho, Joshua, going in, promised land. It's going to be our land. God, how do you want us to take it over? Do we send in the giants, the archers, the spearmen? God says, send in the band. <laughs> right? <laughs> you saw the band. Are we sending him in for war? I mean, he's got a cool shirt, and he could hit somebody with a bass one time. But, but God's plan is sending the band, and Joshua's probably thinking, they're all going to die, but I'm not in the band, so let's let it go. Let's let it ride. See what happens. Sends in the band. 
march around, march around, march around, toot the horn, walls crush in, kill people. Like this was God's idea. Now that theme is what God is working into your life. Stop depending on yourself, your strength, your gifts to get you out of the mess that you got yourself in. Start depending on God saying each morning, going to the white garment phase, okay, God, I need you because I, without you, am not white garment. I am not white garment material. God, I will do what you say today. I will read your book and try to hear your voice and, and do what you say. I'll love people, be kind to others, give to the needy. God, I will sit down and I will build significance and meaning and beauty as I share meals with people and I use meals as a way to communicate your loving kindness for them and for me. I will love my spouse and toil to make this marriage work because this is the marriage that you have given me to display how much you love us. And I will do it all in my weakness because you get all the glory. Now, if you're here today and you don't, you're like, I don't get that. That sounds foreign to me. That may be because you, you've been doing all this on your own. You've been trying to churn up joy and you've been missing some of these elements. Some of you have been missing the faith in Jesus element. Some of you have been missing the Holy Spirit element. Some of you have been missing the eating with others element. Some of you have been missing the toil in relationship element. And you're clinging on with your last grip to some semblance of control because you're scared of what happens if you let go. And I'm here to tell you that if you let go, it may not go well in this life under the sun, but it goes well for all of eternity. It may not shape you into the person you thought you wanted to become, but it will change your mind and your heart. And all of a sudden, 16 years after you accept Jesus as a former pot-smoking, girl-chasing punk of a kid, you're standing up week after week, day after day, telling people how much God loves them. And you're, you couldn't be more thrilled about it. That's me. I'm talking about myself in the third person. I love you guys enough to want to tell you these things. If you need prayer, I want you to know that um, we just started, we cleaned out this room over here. And I'm going to make prayer available to those of you who need it. It's the green door as you walk out that way. And I'm just going to pop it open uh, after about five minutes as musicians clean up. If you need prayer, come in there and just get prayed for today. If it's your marriage, if it's your life, if things are out of whack, don't, don't hesitate to come in there. I'm just going to hang out for a little bit and pray and, uh, and see what God would have us do and, and how lives will be changed. Let me pray for us now and we'll uh, go into our offering. Father, I thank you for the good things that you give us. Lord, this is a simple formula to follow for a joy-filled life, but one dead fly in the perfume can ruin it all. So I pray in the name of Jesus that, that those in here who do not yet know you, and God, I, you know what I mean. I, I mean those in here who aren't yet surrendering to you, those in here who have not yet let go of the control wheel of their life yet, I pray that they would do so today, that you would speak love into their hearts that, that those in here who are looking for the compelling reason, that you would speak to their minds and show them how this worldview fits into the way humanity is. God, for those who have felt abandoned and unloved, that you would embrace them. That we as a church family wouldn't just come here for ourselves, but that we would come to look for those who are new, to love them and include them and be with them. God, it's all for your glory. Love you so much, in Jesus' name.